The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 20th chapter. Jesus said to the disciples, The kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early one morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for the usual daily wage, he sent them into his vineyard. When he went out about nine o'clock, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace, and he said to them, You also go into the vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. When he went out again about noon and about three o'clock, he did the same. And about five o'clock, he went out and found others standing around, and he said to them, Why are you standing here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one has hired us. He said to them, You also go into the vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, Call the laborers and give them their pay, beginning with the last and then going to the first. And when those hired about five o'clock came, each of them received the usual daily wage. Now when the first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received the usual daily wage. And when they received it, they grumbled against the landowner, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for the usual daily wage? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last the same as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. The Gospel of the Lord. I invite you all to be seated. So uh, I I might start by saying that these people who were complaining, I, I could call them maybe the first Lutherans, because they were saying, you know, God, I see you wanting to do what you want to do, but don't you know that we we have a better idea? You know, sometimes that's what it's like to be in the church, isn't it? We've, we've been around for a long time. And some of us in, in the Lutheran church, considering what our demographic skews for by age, I think our average worshiper is somewhere around 60 years old. When we say we've been around for a long time, I don't mean like as a people, I mean individually. And it's a good thing because we've, we've grown up in, a, in an environment that has nurtured our faith. It's It's lived into the baptismal calling that we've heard since the time when the pastor made the sign of the cross on our forehead and said, child of God, you have been sealed by the Holy Spirit and marked by the cross of Christ forever. And the congregation promised, I I assume, something similar to what we still promise, to bring people up in the faith, to teach them the Lord's Prayer and the creeds, to, to bring them to church so that they can be among God's family. And it's obvious by seeing the people in here that you are recipients of this gift of faith, this heritage in which we participate, this joy that we have in being part of not just St. Thomas, but part of the church universal in which we celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ that brings us hope, that brings us freedom, that brings us new life. And sometimes that, that new life means And that investment in that new life means us saying to God, well, God, I I know you might be calling us to figure out how to do something new because, and because changes, you know, because we're grumbling about that cursed green book after the blessed red book, or that we're grumbling about that cursed cranberry book after the blessed green book, right? Or, Or because the neighborhoods have changed around us and the people here aren't from here anymore, or because 
We miss the people who have left, whether they've left because they've died or whether they've left because they've moved on to other places or because my family's changed. And right now I'm grieving and it's hard for me to talk to God or because my own life has changed and I don't know quite how to deal with that. That because changes and some of it is systemic within our congregation. But isn't a lot of it just personal? A lot of it really has to do with where I am right now. And I know a lot of times people will look at pastors and, you know, not that, not that pastors are always living into the best example we possibly can. We're human too. But people look at pastors and see that we've chosen a life of serving God as our vocation. And, and they think somehow maybe we have something on the ball that other, you know, normal people don't, whatever normal might mean nowadays. But rather than being people who respond kind of like Samuel, which is, here I am, Lord, choose me. I've always kind of felt like my personal patron saint that involves my own call to ministry is a lot more like Jonah. You know, and we have, a, we have Jim and Mary in the congregation right now who remember me about that time. And they might be able to tell you a couple stories, though I'd appreciate your, your confidentiality on that about those times when I was running away from the call of God into ministry, when, when God was calling me and I said, thanks, but I think I'll major in English. You know, Jonah, though, I think might also be the story of the church. Jonah is an important story because we have in that, in that short book a lot about our relationship with other people, a lot about our relationship with God, and a lot about what it means to be a real person of real faith, trying to be faithful to God, but not always liking the things we're called to. I learned this morning uh, when I was listening to a podcast on the way in that the context for this, and I'm, I'm sure I learned it in seminary sometime, but 2006 was a long time ago now, but that 700 years before the book of Jonah, the Assyrians, where the capital was Nineveh, had conquered the northern kingdom of Israel. And so God calling Jonah to go to, to go to Nineveh was like asking someone during our revolutionary times to go hang out in London where those English were oppressing us. Or, or maybe during the time of the Civil War to go to Washington, D.C. and speak peace to those people. You know, we, we see the hard feelings that come from a war that divides us, from a war that conquers us. We see over a hundred years later some of the hard feelings that remain from our civil war. Imagine now that we live in a land that was conquered brutally and had been reigned over for years and years and years, and all of a sudden you're called and you're supposed to go and preach good news and repentance and actually bad news because it was that they were going to be destroyed in 40 days. You know, how would it feel to receive that call and how would you feel about those people? I suspect a lot of us in here might react like Jonah did and say, thanks, but no thanks, God, right? So we pick up after Jonah had gone to Nineveh, after Jonah had preached, 40 days and Nineveh will be no more. And surprise, surprise, something weird happened and the people listened to a prophet for a change. And everybody from the king on down to the lowest servant put on sackcloth and sat in ashes and repented. And God relented in punishing. And here we find Jonah. Jonah, maybe the most successful prophet in the entire Bible, sitting there angry. Why? 
Because I knew, God, that you are slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and that you will relent in punishing. You know, Jonah was essentially saying, I could have stayed in Tarshish and had the same thing happen. Why did you drag me all the way over here? Why would you make me do this and go to this land that I don't want to be in and these people that I kind of hate and be in this place where I'm uncomfortable and angry? Why would you drag me here and make me do this? God, I know better. You could have just done this without me. And so God did something that I think is clever, which is, which is good when we read the Bible and we see God is clever. You know, he, God caused a bush to grow up over Jonah. And Jonah was okay with this because the sun was hot and Jonah likes the shade. They didn't have air conditioning back then. They'd take what they could get. And Jonah sat under the bush, was happy. And that night passed and the next morning came and God caused a sultry wind to blow, and I, I love that kind of description of it, a sultry wind, and a worm to come up and devour the bush, and it died. And then Jonah was angry. And God says, you know, why are you so angry? Well, I had this bush. It was nice. I was in the shade. And now I'm in the heat. And God says, and, and you're angry? And Jonah says something I think we can all identify with. Yes, angry enough to die. You know, I, I think about my own life and those, those times when the, the Spirit of God has moved me to think about forgiveness of people who I didn't really feel like I was ready to forgive, to, to deal with people I just had no intention of dealing with again, to be in relationship with people that I just really didn't have any interest in being in relationship with them. And, you know, in those moments where it is not fair that we have been called to forgive, where it is not fair that we have been called to do something that we just don't want to do, where it is not fair that it seems like some people get everything and look at what we're left with. You know, and, and sometimes in congregations, we'll look down the street and we'll see the, the parking lot of the Baptist church is full and we'll wonder why it can't be our parking lots. Or we'll see the person down the street who had a similar job to us and they, they have a really nice car and a really nice house and we have an okay car and an okay house, but how did they get lucky and I didn't? You know, there are lots of reasons where we have the cause and the opportunity to be frustrated and angry and feel like life is not fair. And we see in today's gospel that one of the reasons that we feel like life isn't fair is because it's true. And we see something else that we struggle with in today's parable the, the landowner, who we often associate with God, pays those people who worked an hour the same wage as those people who worked all day long. And how can that be fair? And I can totally see myself being one of those people, if I had labored all day and gotten the same wage as the person who'd been there an hour, complaining to no end about the fact that I got the same thing they got, because that's not fair. One of the things that we struggle with in our faith and a world that tells us that things ought to be fair but nothing really is, is that we think that if God is just, justice at least is fair, right? Justice at least gives those people who deserve that thing exactly what they deserve. You know, we think back to the Psalms. One of my favorite Psalms is the one where the writer says, by the waters of Babylon, we lay down and, and wept for Zion. And it kind of ends with, with them dreaming of God smashing the enemy's babies on... The Psalms are bad. The smashing the babies' heads of their enemies on rocks. 
And, you know, we have this sense that, you know, God is for us. So that means God's against the people who we're against. God's on our side. So God's against the people I hate. Isn't that convenient? But we learn something throughout the Gospels, throughout the Bible, that's difficult, is that God's justice looks like mercy. And mercy isn't fair. That's a hard lesson. God, don't you know that you're supposed to be fair? Don't you know that you're supposed to give the justice that I think is just? What is wrong with you, God? Maybe I'm the only one who's prayed that prayer. But I have a suspicion that I'm not. Responding to God's call is such a difficult thing because it calls us to inhabit a space that takes us out of what we respect. Actually, that is true, out of what we respect and out of the things we expect and into a new kind of morality, into a new kind of justice, into a new kind of hope where hope doesn't look like my people are going to be ahead of those other people. But hope looks like the God who creates the world, the God who creates the universe, will be good to that love and lift up what God creates, all of it. A new kind of hope that means that we learn to live with and deal with the fact that God's love isn't fair, that God will give rewards to those who God chooses to reward regardless of what we think about it. And our job is to figure out how to conform our hearts, how to conform our will, how to conform our hopes and desires to the will and the hope and the desire to which God has called us through the waters of baptism in which we are adopted into a family which we did not earn, that we did not choose, those of us who were baptized as infants, that before we were able to name, claim, profess, or believe anything, God called us children and welcomed us into the family. And that's not particularly fair, but I know I'm grateful. And, you know, Jonah, don't know whether he ever comes around. You know, we, we kind of leave Jonah sitting there angry enough to die. We, we leave Jonah in process. And, you know, in a, in a world where we feel like and maybe just don't feel like, but we may be on the brink of another war, you know, in a world where we have no clue what our health care system is going to look like next year, in a world where, you know, we, no matter what side of the aisle we might sit on, I think a lot of us have spent time wondering what our, all of our politicians from local to the, to the national government have been up to here lately, right? You know, in a, in a world where we, we see things changing so rapidly that it continues to make all of us uncomfortable. And in a world where we realize that there is nothing that is fair, you know, aren't we all in process too? Aren't we all in some way sitting underneath that bush that has died and saying to God, you know, I'm, I'm kind of angry enough to die too. The good news that we have the hope that we have goes back to that very unfairness that no matter how long we sit and brood, we have the opportunity to turn around and be grateful for the things that God has given us. And maybe whether we do or whether we don't, God loves us anyway. 
Because the thing that is also true about God's love that looks like mercy and God's justice that looks like mercy is that no matter where we are, no matter what we're doing, a very hopeful, unfair thing is true as well. God will love us, and God will continue to love us, and God will continue to call us and prod us and nudge us, and sometimes the, the divine swift kick to the rear is what I say takes to get my attention. You know, we all need different things, right? God will continue to call us by name in the way that God calls us by name in the waters of baptism and give us that opportunity to respond like those Assyrians by saying the same thing that Jesus said in the garden, not my will, but your will be done. What does it look like for St. Thomas to, to do this in your ministry? What, what would it look like for us to look at that Baptist church down the road and, yes, recognize that maybe they have more cars, but that God has a purpose for us too? Because that's the other side of the baptismal promise, isn't it? It's not that we're going to be just like everybody else. It's that no matter who we are or where we are or what our congregation looks like or where our congregation is situated or what kind of building facilities we have, God, through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, has called us for a purpose. Not to be this other church down the road, but to be who God has called us to be. Who is it that God is calling St. Thomas to be? for the members here? Who is it that God is calling St. Thomas to be for the community that surrounds you? Who is it that God is calling St. Thomas to be for the synod as you lift up leaders who go not only to LCY, as I mentioned earlier, but leaders who go out into the church and serve, whether it's by becoming rostered ministers or whether it's by serving on some committee or whether it's going off to serve as a young adult in global mission or whether it's someone who finds that there is a ministry you're interested in that goes beyond the doors of this congregation that maybe you'll never see the people that it affects, but that can start here because it's what God's calling you to do. I can't, I can't preach like some of the best preachers I've seen. I can't pastor like some of the best pastors I've seen. I can only be who God's called me to be. But the promise that God gives me is what, what God calls me to be is enough. What God calls you to be is enough. Don't waste your time being angry under the bush. What God has created you to be is enough. Go out and preach and teach and love and be unfair about it in the way that God calls you to be unfair and know that the fruit that is born out of that is every bit as holy as that fruit we sometimes look at and wish we had and know that God has called you to be there and is blessing you. Amen.